0: Welcome to This Week in Video Games, episode 81. My name's Tom Kershaw, and this is a podcast all about the world of video games. Well, this week I've been playing Skyward Sword HD, the remaster with improved controls on Nintendo Switch. I've also been checking out Chicory, one of the most delightful indie titles of 2021 so far. I've also been losing myself in the closed beta of New World, a new MMO from Amazon Game Studios. I'm going to be rounding up EA Play Plus, also looking at the Steam Deck, versus Nintendo Switch OLED model, so it is a jam-packed show as always, so let's get to it. Welcome to the show everyone, I hope you're well and you're having a good week. I'm good this week and it's been a busy couple of weeks for gaming news and announcements, so this past week we had Valve announce their new handheld Steam Deck, which went up for pre-order and I was lucky to get my hands on a 256GB model, and I'm looking forward to that one once it's released. Well, later on in the show, I'm going to check out what the analysts are saying now that Nintendo are releasing their OLED machine, and also how it compares to the Valve Steam Deck. We've also had a new EA Play event, where EA announced the return of Dead Space in a full next-gen remake, and I'll be bringing you all the details of that show later on in the podcast. Before we get into the show, I wanted to plug the podcast Patreon so you can send in your questions, your stories for community questions by signing up to Patreon, so for as little as $2 a month, you can sign up to become a patron where you can access exclusive Discord rooms, send in your questions your comments to be read out on the This Week in Video Games podcast, and also access exclusive content and early access too. There's plenty of benefits over there on Patreon, plus you get to support the show and help This Week in Video Games become a little bit more self-sufficient. Well, that is enough of my waffly intro, but let's check out what I've been playing this week. Well, this week I've been playing The Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword HD, and this one is a stroll down memory lane, and the last Zelda of its kind before Breath of the Wild basically reinvented the whole franchise. So I'm going to bring you my review of that game first up in the show. I've also been playing Chicory, a colourful tale, another Zelda-like of sorts, although this time it's more like A Link to the Past, but with a paintbrush this is one of the best indie games to come out in 2021 and definitely one to check out so look out for the review of that one later on in the show and finally today i've been playing new world a new mmo from amazon game studios and i'm perhaps more excited about this one than any other game in a long time and it's a game that's got it's hooked into me and i played the alpha last year and the closed beta now i'm really really looking to the full release at the end of august 2021 and i will bring you all the reasons why i'm excited for this one later on in the show. Well, feel free to jump around using the timestamps down below, but otherwise, let's dive into the legend of Zelda, Skyward Sword HD, and my review of that game. Well, Skyward Sword HD has arrived on Nintendo Switch approximately 10 years after it debuted on the Wii, and it's arrived with significant improvements to the motion controls, Plus, it's a great opportunity for those to catch up on the canonical start of the Legend of Zelda series. Well, Skyward Sword definitely has its flaws, but I think it's a must-play for any Zelda fan out there. Well, the original Skyward Sword was a product of its era when it first came out, so the Nintendo Wii console was definitely one of the most successful consoles ever produced, and millions of units were in homes all over the world. Nintendo really invested in motion control, and in Skyward Sword they were front and centre. So this one felt more than a gimmick, like swinging a tennis racket in Wii Sports. This was a full-on mainline Zelda entry, following on from the mildly successful Twilight Princess. Players could now wield a sword in their hands with the Wii Remote, and perhaps for the first time, really understand what it felt like to be Link holding the Master Sword in your hands. And Skyward Sword has some fantastic dungeon designs, but the motion controls and other aspects of the game too, put off many fans, leading to a major rethink of the franchise, which would later spawn one of the most successful games of all time, with Breath of the Wild in 2017. Well, fast forward to 2021, and Skyward Sword HD feels like a vast improvement over the original. The motion controls, they're still there if you want them, in the updated Joy-Cons attached to the Nintendo Switch. However, Nintendo has also implemented button controls, so both options are still viable, and there's nothing like sitting back with a pro controller and having an adventure around Hyrule. So Nintendo has been very deliberate with its marketing for Skyward Sword HD. The quality of life improvements have been front and centre to the marketing campaign, and some of the marketing has also crept into Breath of the World 2 teasers, with a shot from their new trailer shown for at E3 2021, demonstrating clear inspiration from Skyward Sword, with Link diving down from above. Skyward Sword HD's release feels like a deliberate move from Nintendo and perhaps they are admitting that many people didn't play Skyward Sword and want to present an opportunity to fans to go back and enjoy this lesser played Legend of Zelda adventure and Nintendo has that massive install base for the Nintendo Switch and hopefully with a few tweaks they could introduce a whole new audience to what is a solid Zelda story. So I played Skyward Sword primarily with the button controls, only breaking out this mode to test out the new motion controls, and I would say buttons are the way to go with this entry, and Nintendo has made some interesting improvements to the controls overall. It's not perfect by any means, but I think they're more than adequate and allow me to enjoy Link's adventure in Hyrule without having to worry too much about waggling a Joy-Con or Wiimote in the air. So one of the freedoms presented with Skyward Sword is you could swing that Wiimote, and that would be translated to the screen with different directional swipes. You can swipe horizontally, vertically, diagonally, and also stab with the sword too. And these motions have been translated to the right thumbstick on the Pro Controller or Joy-Con, and they work fairly well, you know. It's not the most comfortable control scheme I've ever used for an action-adventure game, but to be honest, it will do, and I do think it's an upgrade over the motion controls of the original. So normally, the camera controls are reserved for the right thumbstick, and this is still there with a tactical use of the L button, you know, sometimes I'd end up getting my sword out when I didn't want to, as it feels so natural just to use the right thumbstick for the camera, but after a few hours it becomes second nature, and you can stop worrying about the controls and focus on the great story in the game. So this is where it all began for The Legend of Zelda, and if you check out the timeline for the Zelda series, then canonically is the first one in the story. So you play as Link, or whatever you decide to name the main character, in a place called Skyloft. So this is a small town in the clouds on floating islands and in the first hour or so in the game you take part in a coming of age ceremony where you and your bird mount are taking part in a competition to become a knight of Skyloft. Zelda is there too and she's taken on the role of the maiden where the reward for winning the ceremony also comes with some alone time with Zelda and she's going to offer you up a gift in the form of a glider which nods to the future of one of the main tools of Breath of the Wild. Groose, the standard rival character and his gang, they're determined to stop you from succeeding in the event by kidnapping your bird. However, you manage to get him back and win the day and, of course, the attention of Zelda herself. Well, Zelda has been having visions of an evil below the clouds and after the ceremony, you're both flying on your bird mounts when all of a sudden a cyclone knocks you both off your birds. Well, Zelda is lost below the clouds on the surface and Link wakes up back in his bed in Skyloft He's safe for now, but he's got Zelda's worried father at the foot of his bed, asking where his daughter is. Well, Link then travels to the Statue of the Maiden, an ancient statue in the legend of Skyloft, and presented as the hero. And Zelda's father gives you an ancient tablet and you're equipped with a sword, and it's time to set off on your adventure below the clouds. So Skyward Sword is the last game of the traditional Zelda model, we started back years ago with games like Link to the Past and Ocarina of Time. So Link starts out with only a few tools in his arsenal. Then as he progresses through the game, he picks pick up a series of weapons and tools throughout the dungeons and slowly get more powerful over time as you take down the big bosses at the end of the dungeons. And by the time Skyward Sword came out, this formula for Legend of Zelda had become a little bit tired, leading to the team rethinking what a Legend of Zelda game could be. Although the formula is somewhat tight, it doesn't mean that Skyward Sword is a bad Zelda entry at all. It's actually really, really good, and I think that many people, when they first played the game, found it tough to get through the motion controls and the new way of playing Zelda, but scratch under the surface of the game, and there's a very solid Zelda title here, and it really holds up. Breath of the Wild really switched things up in 2017 by removing the dungeons and the linear path to the game. So rather than provide you the tools and items as you progress through the series of dungeons, we all got our tools on the Great Plateau in Breath of the Wild, and then we could forge our own path towards the end of the adventure by any means necessary and by any path that we decided on. The dungeons were replaced with smaller, more plentiful shrines, and Nintendo injected a sense of exploration not found since the original Legend of Zelda on the NES. Skyward Sword does feel on rails for the majority of the game, but there are elements of freedom here too. So Skyloft acts as your central hub world, from which you can discover new areas on the map below. Then you dive there, solve the puzzles, beat the dungeon, and often opening up new areas with the improved tools and items. The controls are definitely improved in the game. There's also other quality of life improvements too. So in the original, you would get an item notification all the time explaining what something was whenever you pick something up. For example, you pick up a rupee and then you get that same explanation each time you picked up another rupee, which really was just unnecessary. But you can now skip the cutscenes and dialogue, which is perfect if you die and don't want to see the same time-consuming dialogue you've been through before. There's also support for fast travel, although this is locked behind the Amiibo, which, to be honest, is a little bit cheeky of Nintendo. The quality of life improvements really work and make the overall experience of Skyward Sword HD much better than the original. I really prefer sitting back with a controller in my hands and having an adventure, and the world of video games definitely has moved on from deliberate motion controls of the Wii Motion Plus era, and the motion controls are much more subtle these days in games, if there are any there at all. There are deeper issues though with Skyward Sword that the quality of life improvements can't fix, For example, the map is very big, but it feels overall quite empty. It's unfair to compare this to Breath of the Wild, but in that game, it felt like a little adventure was around every corner. Skyward Sword, in comparison, feels quite lonely, and does give you some clues as to why the team decided to switch up the whole nature of the Zelda series. The quest structure in Skyward Sword is also a little of its era, which amounts to gathering a bunch of items or doing a series of mundane tasks, just to get to the next dungeon or the next area. Skyward Sword definitely could do with a little bit of pruning of these unnecessary fetch quests, because when Skyward Sword is good, it's great. So rather than be a 50-hour game, I think it would have performed much better at something like 25 to 30 hours with cutting some of that filler content. But minor bloat issues aside, Skyward Sword is a good Zelda entry and better than many of the reports since its original release. the pattern of critical analysis of skyward sword is rather interesting you know when it first came out it scored really well but then i think the reception on the title cooled not too long after the release i don't think many people went back to play it purely because of the controls and since breath of the wild came out and that became one of the best games ever released there's almost less reason to go back to the original skyward sword so skyward sword hd is a worthwhile investment on nintendo switch for Zelda fans it's not a dramatic remake like Link's Awakening but it's a good time capsule of a video game displaying the nature of Nintendo gaming at the period of release. Skyward Sword thematically also sets up the franchise acting as a prequel to many of the games that came before it plus there's potential links to Breath of the Wild 2 and I think Nintendo really knows what they're doing when it comes to telling a good story and this release at this time with Link dramatically skydiving in Breath of the Wild 2 trailer probably isn't a coincidence so I would recommend picking it up on Nintendo Switch and checking it out there's nothing more relaxing and delightful than an adventure in Hyrule and Skyward Sword does a great job so Skyward Sword HD is available on Nintendo Switch and was originally released on the 16th of July 2021 well that is it for my review of the Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword HD on Nintendo Switch but if you're enjoying this week in video games content then check out patreon.com forward slash this week in video games for benefits like joining in the community discussions on podcasts early access and exclusive content too your content voting and also youtube and podcast shout outs there's also a merch store which include t-shirts hoodies and all kinds of this week in video games stuff but watching the videos and interacting down there in the comments is more than enough but if you want to get involved in this week in video games further you can through patreon and spring check out the links down below for more information Well, I really, really enjoyed Skyward Sword HD, and I'd recommend going and pick it up. It's really, really good fun. But next up, EA was back this week with some announcements. So let's have a look at the roundup from EA Play from July 2021. And this one is thanks to Eddie Makuk and Gabe Gerwin from GameSpot. Well, Dead Space is back. Yes, we've got a full remake of Dead Space, so this one isn't a remaster, but the original game remade from the ground up. And EA Motive is working on the project, with senior producer Philippe Demarche saying he's joined the studio specifically to make Dead Space. Additionally, long-time fans have been consulted on the project, giving feedback to make sure it's satisfying for new. So we only got a little bit of a tease at the end of the showcase, but really, really exciting stuff that Dead Space is coming back. We also had a bit more on Apex Legends Emergence. So Apex Legends is entering into Season 10 with Emergence, and that features the new character, Sia. So Seer focuses primarily on stealth to track enemies without getting detected, and he's voiced by Halo 5 and Mass Effect 3 actor Ike Amadi, and the season kicks off on August the 3rd after the conclusion of the Thrillseeker event. Next up, we got Grid Legends. So Grid Legends is a brand new racing game from Codemasters, a developer and publisher that EA acquired several months ago. An ambitious single-player story mode includes live-action segments with actors from sex education playing a major role, and it's going to make use of the extended reality technology similar to The Mandalorian for an immersive experience. Next up, we had Lost in Random. So this is the latest game from the EA Originals lineup. Lost in Random is from developer Zoink, who previously made Faye and Stick It to the Man. The Burton-like adventure features a unique take on combat with a companion named Dicey, and it pays homage to the stop-motion animation in its world and character designs. Lost in Random releases on September the 10th for all consoles and also PC 2 Next we had more from Knockout City, at Season 2. So Knockout City is getting new content focused on the magical of filmmaking in Hollywood, and in this case it's Hollowwood, at least for the game's new map, And there's a soda-powered ball that can obscure players' vision with its fizzy payload, so you can go in for that knockout. Then we had a big feature on Battlefield 2042, and Battlefield 2042 got plenty of news at EA Play Live, including details on the new Battlefield Portal mode that will let the community create their own game types, but not Battle Royale. And you can use equipment and soldiers from across several different game modes in the series. So Battlefield 42 is really shaping up to be an excellent entry in the Battlefield series, And that one comes out in October 2021. So really, really looking forward to that. Well, that is it for the roundup of EA Play Live. Loads of really good stuff there coming from EA. But next up, let's have a look at my review of Chicory, A Colourful Tale. So Chicory, A Colourful Tale is a new RPG-like adventure game where you have to restore colour to an otherwise black and white world. Chicory is the legendary wielder of the brush, but you are the simple janitor. However, an opportunity has presented itself to grab the brush and imprint your design onto the world around you. Chicory immediately grabbed my attention. It's cute. The characters in the world are well designed and appealing, and the whole game is just pretty relaxing. It's very therapeutic going around and painting the houses, the trees, the clothes and all other kind of things in the game. And much like Animal Crossing came along at the perfect time at the start of the pandemic, it feels like Chicory has done a similar thing, allowing us to release some of that pent-up pandemic frustration through painting, exploration, and going on a heartfelt adventure. From a story point of view, you start out in the world full of colour, with a long line of master painters that wield the brush, and maintain colour in the world. Unfortunately, all of the colour is drained from the world and Chicory is missing, and you, the main protagonist, is called upon save the day you can personalize the hero which you can call what you like prompted at the start of the game to fill in your favorite food which is how my main character ended up being called bacon it's more than simply saving the world and restoring color though this is a very touching story nearly unmatched in 2021 the game deals with some heavy hitting topics without being too direct about it and it is a very fine balance to strike but it's masterfully done in this game given what the whole world is going through right now people are down and this game deals with these kinds of topics you know much like celeste or spirit who did a similar great job with the topic of mental health chicory walks the tightrope really really well you know understands the world isn't a very nice place and the people in it too without being downright depressing so as you navigate the world your main character has a frank and direct conversations with various npcs but they're never too deep into depression or anxiety or similar topics. You know, it raises awareness and strikes the right tone while bringing the story along at a nice gentle pace, which is important for the game. You know, it's masterfully done and hats off to the developer for a great job. In terms of the gameplay, it's a top-down Zelda-like, similar to A Link to the Past. So there's boss fights, but other than the big bosses throughout the game, you're painting, you're exploring and helping out the other characters all around the world. You know, there's puzzles to solve too, collectibles to find, missing kids, etc. But throughout the game, you really need to find the power-ups to your brush and also your platforming skills as well. Boss fights, they're really good fun and include some great mechanics where you have to dodge out the way of paint attacks. But each time you encounter a new boss, they change up the attack patterns in new and inventive ways, which is really, really cool and it keeps you on your toes. To help you out in the gameplay, there's a decent hint system. So if you get stuck at any time, you can call on a useful hint. It starts off subtle, but will just give you the solution if you need it. You know, I think this is a really nice touch. There's been too much chatter around this topic recently, you know this is an accessibility option, and not everyone can play to the same ability as you. And it’s through no fault of their own, you know this is a great system that allows everyone to get through the game’s puzzles, and I hope more games do something similar in the future. you know, no content should be gated for any reason, and it’s awesome to see games becoming more accessible and be there for everyone. Chicory has components of Zelda games. you know it’s top down, you're on an adventure and there’s collectibles and upgrades. However, the core gameplay loop is all about painting and it’s gloriously relaxing you're welcome to wander around the black and white world and just leave it, or some characters will ask you to colour in their house or design them a t-shirt. You start off with a small array of brush types, but as you progress through the game, you can really start to paint masterpieces. So it's easy to get lost in trickery and spend hours just simply colouring in the landscapes, the houses and the characters, so be careful with your time and don't forget about the adventure and the main story too. Well, the main story is fairly hard-hitting, although it is hidden at first. Chicory is someone you look up to, and ultimately want to be. Chicory, though, doesn't appear to be very happy, and it's hard to understand why from your character's point of view. She's the popular wielder of the brush and has plenty of fans, yet her world seems empty. So Chickory talks down to herself, not even liking herself, and then hits out at people when they try to comfort or help her. It's an interesting point of view playing as an observer to the main hero, as the main hero is in kind of crisis mode. It's not something I've really seen before in games, and it's great to have a deeper, more meaningful perspective, giving Chicory many more layers than you first might expect. Chicory is clearly depressed or going through a tough moment and lashes out at your main character. So this is parallel to real life where friends or family members who are going through a rough patch can lash out to those who are trying to help them. And Chicory tends to punish Bacon without meaning to, and Bacon tries to support the best they can. It's a game that makes you look at some of the relationships you may have in real life, either with friends or family. It's a heartfelt game that is complex if you go deeper, but it's also uplifting and rewarding at the same time. This is much more than any Metroidvania Zelda like I've played before, and the game has true grit and heart, and it hits you with real talk, and I really enjoyed my time with it. You know, It could be in the conversation at the end of the year for one of the best games of 2021. It is that unique. So I would definitely recommend this game 100%. It's available on PS5 and PC, and it's very reasonably priced at the moment around £15 on Steam, and I would say it's a memorable gaming experience. I've played hundreds of games that have great gameplay, fantastic controls, and heart-stopping moments, but Chicory, a colourful tale, offers up something different. So if you don't like all the deep stuff, then the painting is very therapeutic, and you just can't help love the characters in this game. So the developer was Greg Lobanov, A Shell in the Pit, Alexis Dean-Jones, Madeline Berger and Lena Rainey. And it was published by Greg Lobanov and Finji. It's available for PC and PS5 and was originally released on the 10th of June 2021. Well, that is it for my review of Chicory, A Colourful Tale. But next up, let's have a look at the all platform charts. So at 10 this week, down 9 places from last week's number 1, it's Ratchet & Clank Rift Apart. At 9 this week, down 5 places from last week's number 4, it's Mario Golf Super Rush. At 8 this week, up 1 place from last week's number 9, it's Grand Theft Auto 5. And at 7 this week, up 4 places from last week's number 11, it's Super Mario 3D World plus Bowser's Fury. At number 6 this week, up 1 place from last week's number 7, it's Minecraft. And number 5 this week, up 1 place from last week's number 6, it's Animal Crossing New Horizons. At four this week, it's Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, at one place from last week's number five. And at three this week, it's FIFA 21, down one place from last week's number two. At two this week, it's F1 2021, that is a new entry. And another new entry at number one, it's the Legend of Zelda, Skyward Sword. Well, really good to see Skyward Sword there at the top of the chart. So hopefully many new people are going to experience that Legend of Zelda story. So I think Skyward Sword was held bad by its motion controls, as I mentioned in the review earlier on in the podcast But yeah, if you get a chance to go out and play Skyward Sword, I would definitely recommend it. Well, that is it for the all-platform charts, but next up, let's have a look at my impressions of New World and the closed beta. New World is here in closed beta ahead of the full launch at the end of August 2021 and this is Amazon Game Studios' new MMO, currently on PC only, and this closed beta is the final test before the big release, coming in only a few weeks' time. New World is a game that's managed to get its hooks into me through a combination of combat, crafting, factions, economies, as well as the PvE and PvP battles. When you first start out in New World, you can create a character, and then you pick a region and a server to play on. So the character creation tools, they're okay, nothing to write home about, but then you're dropped on the beach in a strange new world called turnum. So after being caught in a storm on a ship, this a mystical place with animals, thousands of other players, and about 14 different regions to explore. So New World is big, and it's going to take plenty of time to explore and get your bearings. So you're going to get dropped onto one of the four starting regions and run through the tutorial for combat, gathering, crafting and then you'll find yourself in your settlement essentially the main town of one of your starting regions. So here you're going to be introduced to various vendors and as you level up you're going to be able to take on quests and eventually faction quests when you reach about level 9 or 10. So the gameplay loop in New World consists of a mixture of levelling up gathering materials, crafting and fighting and then you decide to take on PvE enemies or PvP with players. As with other MMOs, levelling up is key and earning XP through questing is your basic gameplay loop. So this is going to send you out on the world on foot, gathering materials like wood, food, leather, or even mining for iron ore. So the more quests you do, then the faster you're going to level up. And as you level up, other parts of the game will open up to you. So crafting is a big part of New World where once you gather materials, you can craft up at various vendor stations dotted about your settlement. So there's woodwork, smelting, weaving... Lots of different skills to level up and you can earn XP through crafting, so you could in theory avoid all other parts of the game and simply become a master craftsperson. The economy in New World is a great addition too, so once you craft your materials, you can get into the economy by trading or selling your crafted items. If you decide to focus on a particular crafting ability at the start and you find a niche, then perhaps there's a gap on your server and you could strike it rich by selling your crafted items in the economy. Not only that, but the economy is different in other settlements. So, for example, arrows may be going really cheap in your settlement, but head out to another settlement that's about to go to war. Now, You could strike it rich by selling a bunch of arrows that are high in demand due to that impending battle. The economies, they look deep, complex and variable. You could, in theory, spend hours crafting items and catering to the markets. So combat is where things get interesting in New World. At first, you're going to be fighting PvE opponents but eventually you're going to be levelling up enough to take on other players in PvP. There's plenty of weapons in New World to get acquainted with, such as swords, staffs, bows and arrows, spears, hatchets, axes as well, you name it. You know, New World pretty much has it. As you use your weapons, you're going to earn specific experience points for weapon mastery. You to unlock new skills and bust your characters through these points. For example, when you start out with a hatchet, you can only swipe and smash up close, but a few points and you'd be able to throw that hatchet and burst into something called Berserker mode, which is essentially like hulking up, plus you get a mobility boost for your character so you can run faster. Each weapon has a complex tree of skills, so you'll be able to specialise in a range of weapons, and as you're battling you can change your weapons on the fly, so you can hold two weapons at the same time and switch between them nice and fast, but you can also hold other weapons in your immediate inventory, as well as storage in your settlement if you need to. So once you've leveled up a certain amount, then you'll be introduced to factions in the game. So we've got the Marauders, the Syndicate, and the Covenant. So picking a faction is a key choice in the game. It's definitely going to affect your time in New World. So by picking a faction, it means you can now accept quests from the faction Quest Giver. So you've got three PvE quests to pick from and three PvP quests at any one time. So then just head out into the world and complete these at various points on the map and come back to turn them in for XP gains and continue your levelling up. So factions can band together To form companies and then companies can go out roaming the world and taking on other companies in huge battles to take over the land so if you win the land you can set tax rates and also set up projects to further your faction interests so it's really really good deep complex and it's definitely a whole load of fun too so pvp is a big component in new world it's likely to be many players focus however you can level up through crafting and also town projects found in your settlement too so this means you can pretty much explore new world and complete town projects to level up meaning you could specialize in these areas if you wanted to so it is worth noting that combat in new world is active rather than other mmos like final fantasy 14 or wow so combat controls more like dark souls or legend of zelda where you select the weapon to use and strike dodge and block with a combination of keys so the combat isn't anything revolutionary, but so far it feels really good. But I am yet to take part in a major PvP battle or a dungeon, but I'm definitely looking forward to that. There's a huge social element to the game, and this is a game where you're going to likely want to band together with a few friends, form a company and go roaming a turnum to take over territory. So I've been playing solo so far, but when the full release comes out, I'll be joining a company on an EU server, as the social pools of the game look too great to overlook. So far, I've been getting my head around the combat, the crafting, the locations, but the endgame looks like you're going to need to band together. So one of the endgame elements is called Expeditions, and these are the New World Dungeons. So you can get into these around levels 20 to 25, and this requires players to band together to take on some of the toughest enemies in the game, although there's plenty of room for growth here to max level as that goes up to 60 So some of the other endgame content includes Outpost Rush, so that starts at level 60. You've also got Invasions 2, and at level 50, you you need that to defend the settlements. So as with many games like New World, the game really begins when you get to the level cap. So I've barely scratched the surface with New World, but through the closed beta, I've had a taste of all the different game modes and the gameplay loops. It's definitely got my attention, and I did play the Alpha last summer in 2020, and the game has seen significant upgrades in terms of graphical and audio fidelity. You know, the game looks beautiful, and the ambient sounds of the forest, particularly somewhat soothing chopping sounds, they all add up to an immersive experience. To get into the closed beta, you have to pre-order the game. So different from other MMOs where you have to pay a monthly subscription, here you pay the price of the initial game, but I would imagine later on they're going to charge for expansions, or DLCs, or perhaps make money through the in-game store. So the beta is only going on till August the 2nd, Plus, all the content gets wiped at the end of the beta, so everyone is going to start fresh on August 31st. So I'm really looking forward to the full release at the end of August and putting a little bit more into the beta this week as I try to level up and get into that PvP combat and expeditions to see what that is all about. So far, I've found myself lost in this title, wanting to play more, thinking about the game when I'm not playing. This is always a really good sign, and I'm really, really excited for this one. You know, Whether you're out there in the wild hunting, and skinning animals or taking down PvE or PvP opponents, this game is definitely off to a good start. You know, it's not perfect by any means. There's real room for growth and improvements. And the combat, for example, could do with some tweaks to be more satisfying, and we've got to see what the endgame has to offer. However, I do think there's a bunch of potential here. And it's definitely a game I'm going to be keeping a close eye on in the not too distant future. Well that is it for my first impressions of New World and its close beta. But next up, let's have a look at the Switch OLED versus the newly announced Valve Steam Deck. So this one is thanks to James Batchelor from GamesIndustry.biz. So hardware announcements are few and far between, and yet we've seen two major stories emerge over the course of the last two weeks. So first of all, Nintendo dispelled the myth of the Switch Pro by unveiling the Switch OLED model, almost the same as the standard version, but with a larger, higher quality screen primarily focused to those who play in handheld mode. Then, on the day that pre-orders for the OLED model went live, Valve dropped the bombshell that a rumored Switch like handheld gaming PC did, in fact, exist. So the firm announced three versions of the Steam Deck, which begins shipping in December, although you may have quite a wait if you're only registering for your pre-order today. So having already shared our own thoughts, we reached out to various analysts to get their thoughts on the machine and the strategies behind them. And those who were able to comment agreed on one thing, despite the similar form factor the two devices are not in direct competition. So Steam Deck appeals to a sizable audience when you include lapsed Steam users that might be reinvigorated by this new product. This one comes from Piers Harding Rolls out of Ampere Analysis. The Steam Deck is for hardcore Steam users who want access to their library on the go, and possibly for the PC game first-timer who wants to be on Steam, but with the convenience that only the console provides, Catland Games' CEO and the founder of Dr. Sirk and Toto Explains. The OLD model is for Switch users. They've been mostly using the standard model in handheld mode and now want to upgrade all new buyers opting for the higher model from the get-go. So in terms of their commercial prospects, Toto believes that there can be no doubt that the Switch OLED will shift more units, given it's the more mainstream of the two products, but he adds, that is not to say that the Steam Deck will flop, it won't, but the audience size both companies look at are vastly different. Ampere Analysis Head of Games Research Piers Harding-Rolls agrees, adding that he doesn't expect the Steam Deck to appeal to many non-Steam gamers. I see this less as a device to reach an entirely new audience, and rather a device that enables a new way to play for existing or lapsed Steam gamers. Judging by the leaked pre-order numbers, stock availability this year will be small, far smaller than the Switch OLED, for example, and I think this can be partially explained by the general supply chain issues that are occurring in all of the tech markets. In that context, the pre-order process valves implemented to try and stop scalpers buying up devices and reselling is great for consumers. So let's turn first to the Switch OLED model. So while not the souped-up 4K version that many were hoping for, it is nonetheless a potential boost for the Switch in this year's all-important holiday season, especially at a time when both Xbox and PlayStation are still suffering from the global component shortages when rolling out the new consoles, as well Nintendo to an extent. The Switch OLED model makes sense for Nintendo, and my interpretation is that's one of several iterations that we're going to see over the life cycle of the device, says Toto. Now I'm aware that I sound like a broken record by now, but I think Nintendo will still indeed release a truly beefed-up Switch ahead of an entirely new next-generation device. Steam Deck's biggest selling point is clearly the price, and nailing that is always extremely important in our industry. Since speaking to Toto, Nintendo has, in an extremely rare turn of events, commented on unverified reports about the device's manufacturing costs, adding that it has no plans for launching any other model at this time. Harding Rolls deems the OLED model as a sound move from Nintendo and one in line with its previous product strategies. Improving the flagship version of the Switch will add further momentum to the platform and freshen up for the next few years of the cycle. The small price differential compared to the current flagship means that many later adopters that were eyeing a Switch will now opt for the OLED version. I think these mainstream adopters will be tipped into action by the bigger screen, its improved legibility and the better audio in context of impersonal social play. It will also prompt some existing Switch users to upgrade, particularly those that have used the Switch a lot in handheld mode and still have the original Switch before the battery improvements. He predicts that the OLED model will sell around 5 million units by the end of 2021, after which it will slowly replace the current flagship model over the course of 2022. An Ampere analysis expects this to contribute to an increase in sales for the Switch family of devices, which is expected to sell more than 155 million units by the end of 2025. If Nintendo achieves this, it would make the Switch the biggest selling console of all time, just ahead of the PS2's lifetime sales and a full million ahead of the DS family, Nintendo's current record holder. While well, Harding Rolls also believes that another Switch is still in the works but doesn't expect to see it anytime soon. I don't think the Switch OLED is a stopgap release before a more powerful version of the Switch is brought to market. I'm not expecting a Switch Pro in 2022. I think it's probably too late in the cycle to introduce that sort of device. I think Nintendo will wait to introduce more power in its next-generation console, which I currently expect to launch at the end of 2024. The Steam Deck, meanwhile, is perhaps the more interesting proposition. Even if limited to only the Steam marketplace, it would offer a library of titles unparalleled by any console, but the ability to access other stores and streaming services makes it one of the most open gaming devices to date. But Harding Rolls reminds us it's not the first handheld gaming PC to release on the market, but likely the one with the best chances at commercial success. Valve has managed to deliver a product at an attractive price point for the specs and is sacrificing hardware profitability to kickstart what it hopes to be a new category of gaming PC devices, he explains. I expect this to appeal to most existing Steam users that are interested in having a companion device for playing games under different use cases away from their main gaming PC. However, this represents a sizable audience when it includes LAP Steam users that might be reinvigorated by this new product. While only a subset of Steam games will be available on Steam Deck, those that are supported by Proton, which acts as a compatibility layer between Steam OS and Windows games, potential buyers will be happy to see it if it acts like a normal PC and how open the platform is. I don't see the Switch OLED as a stopgap release before the more powerful version, so Valve will no doubt hope that enabling portability will lead to people spending more time and therefore money on Steam, helping to offset the hardware cost for the company. But Harding Rolls emphasises the Steam Deck is an experiment, and one that makes it difficult to predict the long-term demand, and is therefore commercially quite risky. Well, really, really interesting stuff there from GamesIndustry.biz, and a comparison between the Steam Deck and the OLED version of the Nintendo Switch. A massive thank you to GamesIndustry.biz for that article. Well, that is it for a look at the Steam Deck and the Nintendo Switch OLED model, but next up, let's have a look at what we've got coming out in the next few weeks. So the next few weeks, looks like this. On July the 26th, we've got Contra Returns on iOS and Android. Then on the 27th of July, we've got a few games. So we've got Microsoft Flight Simulator on Xbox Series S and X. And we've got Neo: The World Ends With You. That's on PS4 and Switch. We've got Samurai Warriors 5. That's on the Xbox Series consoles, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. We've got The Great Ace Attorney Chronicles. That's on PS4, Switch, and PC. And then Tribes of Midgard on PS5. PS4 and PC. Then on the 28th, we got Chernobyl Light, that's on PC, and we've got Near Reincarnation, that's on iOS and Android. Finally, on the 28th, we've got The Forgotten City, that's on PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PS4, Xbox One, and PC. On the 29th, we've got The Eldest Souls, that's on PS5, Xbox Series consoles, PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. We've got The Final Fantasy Pixel Remaster Series, PC, iOS, and Android. And we've got The Ascent, that one's coming out on the Xbox Series consoles, Xbox One and PC. We've got Alone With You, that's coming out on Nintendo Switch. That one is coming out on July the 30th. And then moving into August, on August the 3rd, we've got Lemnis Gate, that's on PS5, Xbox Series consoles, PS4, Xbox One and PC as well. Also on August the 3rd, we've got The Ramp, that's coming out on PC. Then on the 4th of August, we've got Dungeon Defenders Awakened, that's coming to Nintendo Switch. And we've got My Time at Porsche, that's coming out on iOS and Android. And then finally we've got the Falconeer, that's coming out on PS5, PS4 and also Nintendo Switch 2. Well that is it for this week's episode and if you want to get involved in the show, get in contact through patreon.com forward slash This Games or check out the latest on the website. Send in your questions, your comments and your video game stories. I'm always interested in hearing from you. I'd love to read out your questions or your comments on the podcast. Well, as always, thank you so much for watching or listening, and for more This Week in Video Games content like this, like, subscribe on YouTube, and share with a friend. To join our community, check out the Discord link in the description, and you can follow me on Twitter at TWIFG Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast or found it useful, liking and sharing it would really help me out. Otherwise, check out the other podcasts in the feed. Thanks again. I'll see you soon.